Welcome to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. So everybody, I can see that it's it's warming up here. Thank you so much uh, for being here tonight on this podcast. I'm so excited. This is the first of many that I'm bringing on of experts in business that can help you during this time of transition and challenge that's happening inside of the industry right now. Of course, there are people here probably because it's my Facebook that aren't necessarily dental and ortho. I then that's one of the great things about it is that it's going to be great information for anybody that's in business, small business, large business. And obviously, Cameron, uh, I'm just honored to have you on. I want to do a quick little intro so people to understand a little bit. As you can see on the ticker there, go to Amazon, get Cameron's books. Uh, all the books he has there are awesome. Uh, some of the books, I'll tell you my favorites, by the way, is uh, Meeting Suck is my actually favorite. I'm going to bring up all your books online right here. Do there we go so people can see the covers of them. All right, so Meeting Suck is one of my favorite books, and Cameron and I, I'm waiting for the revised version of Virtual Meeting Suck because I know that's got to be coming. <laughs> I've actually thought about that. I went, hmm, I should talk to Cameron because I do a lot of virtual meetings and be like, how do you make them not suck? Because there's a lot of people who are turning to that right now. Um, but your most recent book, Free PR. Yeah. I talk a lot to my doctors about becoming the expert in their field by writing a book, by getting uh, on their local news and stuff like that. And free PR is, it's really a handbook on how to get free PR, free public relations and, and, and notoriety media yeah. in the out there. And it, it's a great book. And it's great for, great for your industry too. I mean, everybody's listening. Yeah. It, the free PR and there's a fifth one as well. My fifth book was The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs that I co-authored with Hal Elrod, who you know as well. That's right. Um, yeah, free PR is interesting. When I built, the first company I was helping to build was called College Pro Painters. That's right. It was, yep. it was 30 years ago. We ended up building it into the world's largest residential house painting company. Um, every year we would get 800 new franchisees and they would go get 8,000 painters. So we'd have 8,800 people that we would mobilize for four months. We'd paint $64 million in houses, then we would stop. And we leveraged a lot of free publicity. So I learned how to generate free PR there. Then I did it with the auto body chains that we built, Boyd Auto Body and Gerber Auto Collision. And then I did it again with 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Um, we landed 5,200 stories about our company with 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And then I've been teaching you know, CEOs globally on one of those. That's just one of the little tools that I teach them, but it's powerful. I think what's really cool about that is there's a friend of mine who's actually in Arizona. He's in the dental space. He pivoted really quickly with uh, creating a network of dentists that were still open for emergencies so that they weren't bogging down the emergency rooms. Because what a lot of people didn't think about was obviously when consumers think that their dentist is closed, they're going to go to the ER if they have a toothache or anything challenging the ERs aren't equipped other than an aspirin to deal with it. So he pivoted and created a network across the country through his contacts on how to, uh, how to connect with these, a free service and got a ton of press around it. Like especially in the local and uh, national news showing people, look, this is what one person is doing to help you out. If you do have a problem and it's exploded his business in four weeks. Well, and what's powerful about it, and I talk about this in the book, Free PR, most people don't understand how publicity works. And we're learning something very powerful today 
in the last six to eight weeks around how social media works and how the media works. So there's no such thing like fake news or not, then there's no such thing as investigative journalism. Journalists aren't out finding the story. They're going to take the story that gets dumped in their lap because they need to come up with a new story every day. They need new content every day. So your job is to help them by giving them a story. And then the second thing is that a story in a newspaper or a magazine or TV or radio is fine, but it's kind of like putting a log on a fire. It just sits there. Hmm. That story isn't necessarily going to change your business. Even 10 stories won't change your business. That's like 10 logs on a fire. You've got to actually light them. You've got to, you've got to put a spark and lighter to light them on fire. So the lighting them on fire is taking the stories putting it on Facebook three times, putting it on LinkedIn five times, putting it on Twitter, sharing it with your email list, emailing it to your customers, giving it to your employees and asking them to share it. That's like lighting the logs on fire. And then if you really want a fire, and we all did this when we were 15 Love years it. old, what do you do? You pour gas on the fire, right? I wonder what will <laughs> happen now. And it's boom. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, the gas is driving advertising to your Facebook pages, your LinkedIn profiles to drive ad traffic towards it. And that's what really gets you the amplification. We call that the digital trifecta. So my question then with that is how much, and I'm only asking this because I know that there are going to be people here thinking how much of the self-promotion off of the PR promotion is too much? Is there, is there something, is there anything called too much? There's no, there's no such thing as too much because we're bombarded with press. So there used to be something that we were all taught, you know, back in marketing and, and in the marketing textbooks and marketing books that your prospects needed to see your marketing nine times before they took action. But more than ever, I call it the rule of 27, more than ever, we're so busy and we're getting bombarded with media and messaging and, and, and social media. And there's so much information that we only see one of every three things put in front of us. So if I post something on Facebook three times, you're only gonna see it once. Right. I need, and the reality is I need to put something in front of you nine times for you to take action, which really means I need to put 27 things in front of you, wow. for, you to, for you to see it nine times for you to take action once. So that's where you get into the retargeting and the additional reach and the multiplication and the pushing it out and sharing it over text and Facebook and LinkedIn is, you know, all people are like, oh, I'm so pissed off. I heard from that company. The next day, they don't remember who pissed them off mm. because, because they've been, they've, so much more has happened. So I think more than ever, we need to be able to keep our messaging in front of our clients. And advertising is something they don't necessarily believe as much as the social proof of, of a testimonial from a client or press coverage that we can get. Those are things, those are the social proof. So, okay, so let's go with that for a moment. We're obviously, we have a lot of orthodontic world and, and, and dental world that's, that's going to be tuning in tonight. And we're going to definitely talk a lot about Double Double and, and especially Chapter 11 in there, which I think is, is so important for right now. Um, and did you notice the nickname of that Chapter 11? I, as soon as you promoted it online, I saw, I was like, that's brilliant. That's so smart. And chapter nobody 11. noticed it for years. Because really? Of, well, because I released the book Double Double in 2010. But I wrote it in 2009, right after the 2008-2009 meltdown. Right. So I, I, for fun, called it Chapter 11, How to Grow When It's Slow and How to Make Money in a Recession. But because we've gone through 10 years of boom, nobody's thinking Chapter 11 because we never hear about it anymore. Right. And only recently somebody saw it. I'm like, well, 
you're the sixth person out of probably a hundred thousand copies that have sold who's ever noticed the play on words and I it was like my own little private joke so here's the slowness of Dino when I first saw that and I did I was like ah oh, chapter chapter 11 that's pretty smart I I do almost everything audio audiobooks I listen to a ton of audiobooks well in the audiobook it's actually chapter 12 because there's the intro and so I was like why isn't this match like that? This isn't talking anything about slow. And it took me like literally five minutes to figure out that I was on the wrong chapter. <laughs> it says chapter, it says chapter seven when you intro it, but on the like breakdown of it, because you have an intro, that's always chapter one. Right. Yeah. So it says it on it, but you know, okay. I wasn't thinking. I, I always tell entrepreneurs that with double, double, it's not a novel. You don't have to read it front to back, but that's right. Entrepreneurs have to read chapters one, two, four, six, and 12. And now I've said, and 11 as well, because 11 is the, is how to grow when it's slow, but I never pushed it as much over the last number of years, but now it's very applicable. Let me ask you about the promotion thing. So one thing that I talk about with my clients and uh, try to actually demonstrate through what I do is showing the results. And in, in the ortho world, the results pretty clear, right? You can see somebody from a smile when they had jacked up teeth to when they get their smile reveal and it's like this beautiful smile that they were able to create. Um, I talk about pushing that more and more and more as much as possible using that. If you're going to do social media, that's your social media piece. That should be the loudest thing that you do, but even more, even above uh, like a five-star Google review, which is great, but the actual visual of somebody's switch and change is what's going to really promote them the most. Um, how would you suggest that they actually use that when it comes to marketing beyond maybe just social media? Using their what, sorry? The smile reveal, the result that they give, right? Yeah, I, I like it. And by, by the way, I'm going to touch on two things. One, everyone who's listening should set up a system. You can use uh, Last Patient, I think it's called. That, that is an automated system that everyone walking out of your office gets a text message asking them to leave a Google review. One of my clients called Redirect Health, they're a member of the CO Alliance, they're up to like seven, 800, 900 reviews per location. So when you're looking up a clinic to go to and you see, oh, they've got 20, this guy's got 50, this guy's got 120, 900, oh, I'll go to them. And it's just become this automated program. Now they're also manually pushing people to add Yelp reviews as well. And they just know that if they own those two places, they win. So right. I would very, people still think of it. It's the Amazon game. The more reviews that a product has on Amazon, we tend to buy that one. You know, 1,200, one of my clients, Viva Naturals, has 17,000 reviews on his coconut oil. Wow. You're going to buy it. Like, you're gonna, like the next one is 1,200, 17,000. You're buying Viva Naturals coconut oil, right? So I wouldn't underestimate the power of that. And what's interesting is once you get the 400, the 500, it stays forever. It's like launching a rocket or launching a, um, a satellite. It stays in orbit and will always help you. So I'm really, really fond of pushing every client to leave me a Google review and leave a Yelp review. Leave it like one at a time, one at a time until they're finally going, hey, I got it. I've already left the Google, left it six months ago. Like you want your clients teasing you about the Google reviews. I want it on the door when they're walking out. I want it on the back of the reminder card. I want it on the six month message that we send to them. Like, please leave us a Google review and a Yelp review. You're constantly pushing them for that. More than anything, you win in that space. Yeah, I so, totally agree, totally agree. Now I'll answer your question about the, um, uh, the smile, the smile reveal. I think it's very powerful. One of my clients has a company called Gym Launch mm -hmm. and Gym Launch hires 
um, or, or, or trains gyms on how to fill their gym with clients. So how to okay. get more people on subscription. All they do is they get another happy customer to leave a little video about why they're happy using gym launch. And they write this pretty cheesy little long form sales thing and they post it on Facebook and they drive ad traffic to it. And all you're seeing is I'm Bob. I own a gym. I use gym launch. I made all this money. I love their program. Here's my results. And then, then three days later, hi, I'm Kelly. I use gym launch. I'm like, and, and you can't stop because it's constantly this review. You're just like, I'm going to use them. Yep. The social proof is just so strong, right? I'm a big fan of the video aspect too, even more than the written because yes. just my own learning style. But I think a lot of people are so used to the video on the phone, the video on the computer, they'll tap on that first. <laughs> and so to hear just somebody say, man, uh, Dr. Sheffield just came on. You know, Dr. Rob Sheffield's the, the best orthodontist ever. I love what he did for me. Look at my smile. That one minute little clip is going to be way more powerful than somebody going, oh yeah, another. So here's an interesting and, thing. And, and don't, don't worry about overproducing it. Don't worry about like, yes, do a quick, a quick little video clip on an iPhone, a quick before and after picture that you edit in, get it annotated by somebody like in the Philippines, Bob's your uncle, it gets uploaded. You do that with every client, you win. hundred percent. I, totally I, I saw this happening in the house painting world. 25 years ago, my sister was the number one franchisee in North America for college pro painters out of 800 franchisees. And what she did her first summer, she was so wanting to get customer um, letters of reference because she had a bunch of mine from three years before when I was a franchisee, but she wanted her own letters of reference. Every time she did an estimate for a house painting, she said to the customer, when we paint your house, you're going to be so thrilled with our work that you're going to give me a letter of reference and the check and a hug before we leave your property. And they'd laugh and she goes, I'm not kidding. I want a hug, a check and a letter of reference before I leave your property. At the end of about two weeks, she had 20 of them. Then she had 40, then she had 80. Then there was, then there was second wow. summer, then there was third summer. So then she's just handing people a binder of before and after photo, letter of reference, before and after photo, letter of reference. They're like, you're painting my house. I don't care what you charge. What's so great is she's also presupposing and planning it in their head before anything's done that the quality of work's going to be that great that they're going to want this. You don't have to even rely on the trust me idea. It's you're going to be so happy this was going to happen. And so when you ask for it later, I know that a lot of people that I talk to when it comes to asking for referrals or asking for recommendations, sometimes they'll challenge you for them and they feel like, well, I'm not sure how to do it. And no. But if you've presupposed it ahead of time, told them this is what's going to happen, when you actually do it, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember you telling me you're going to do that. You're going to want a hug and a referral. You're going to want a hug and a testimonial. I do that with my coaching clients now where CEOs pay me to coach them. But three years after the coaching engagement ends, they have to send me a bonus check for what they feel coaching was actually worth. And they know every coaching call we do. I'm like, remember that bonus check that's coming in three years? They're like, yeah, yeah, I know. And, and they know that they have to, because one of my clients, I coached them for four years from 3 million to 52 million. He paid me my money every year, but at the end of the day, it was worth way more to him than what he paid me for that four years. Sure. So they write the check. Yep. But Absolutely. Yeah, you're persuading them the entire time. Love it. Okay. So one of the things we got to get to and, definitely and is. You're, and you're oh. delivering on your promise, right? Because then you got to make sure they right. are happy with the work you do. You have the proof, you have, you know, presupposing, you have, it's a, it's brilliant to do that. All right. So 
I want to make sure that we, uh, we, we focus a little bit on, and, and man, I can talk to you forever about this stuff, but I want to, I want to honor your time and make sure we get some questions too. So everybody, if you have questions, make sure you put them into the chat box in your Facebook. We're going to get to those. Also, if you haven't gone to Amazon or Audible and got your copy of Double Double, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. But Vivid Vision, one of my favorite books, Meetings Suck, because they do. Uh, free PR, and then also uh, morning. Miracle morning for entrepreneurs. Miracle morning for entrepreneurs. Yep. Um, okay. So in the book, uh, Double Double, one of the things that we want to focus on is chapter 11, which is called How to Grow When It's Slow. Obviously, right now, there's a lot of people who are freaking out, concerned about what's going on. People who even had a little bit of hope two weeks ago about PPP or the EIDL, and now it's like, oh, money's gone. When is that going to happen again? Realizing you can't wait for that to happen. Grow When You're Slow is, How to Grow When You're Slow is really kind of a chapter for me that was a checkoff list. It wasn't even a, this is a, a, a some good suggestions. These are like, oh, go this first, this first, this, uh, this second, this. And so I want to talk about that. First of all, let's talk about the origins of it and why you wrote it. Sure. So um, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the PPP. The reason I was stressed coming to this call is I'm dealing with US Bank on the final approval of my PPP stuff. Um, so how to grow when it's slow came because I made a lot of money in the 2009 economic downturn. When the stock market crashed, I had eight companies that I went deep on, on investing. And I put a lot of money into eight stocks. And when it, when everything corrected, which it always does, I was up 109% on the eight stocks over a year. And wow. I remember, I remember posting on Facebook that I was doing it. And a friend of mine, a local entrepreneur in Vancouver thought I was crazy because he was one of the people panicking. And I remember thinking to myself that, it's that Warren Buffett adage, when people are panicking, be greedy, or when people are fearful, be greedy, and when, you're, when they're greedy, be fearful. And I remember thinking that what, some of the reasons why I did so well in that recession was I just acted differently. But then I also realized that I'd already been through two. I, I owned my own company in 1987. When I was 20 years old, I was 22 at that point, I had 12 full-time employees when I was 20. So I already owned a business in the 87 downturn. In the 2001 downturn, I was the COO for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. So when that market crashed, I was already the chief operating officer of that growing brand and I had to steer that company through. And we did very well with all of our franchisees, but it was a mindset and a shift and a focus on marketing it. And then in the 2008, 2009, I was coaching 15 CEOs and they all did really well. So I realized that I actually understood how to navigate it. So when I was writing the book, Double Double, I just thought about what are all the things that I can teach people and very much like my speaking events, my, my books are just me giving everything I can of that content. So I thought, you know, I can teach them about marketing and communication and leadership and hiring and meetings and PR and how to control the emotional roller coaster they go through. And then I was like, well, what about a recession? I remember I almost didn't put it in, mm -hmm. but I thought, no, this, I've got some good stuff there. I'll at least put it in there and then, you know, it's relevant for later. And sure enough, now it's been 10 years, but it's now relevant. So yeah, it's, inc it's incredibly relevant. And here's the thing is that I want to just make this, this little point to everybody watching is, yes, you are, we mentioned this a little bit off, off uh, camera earlier about how you're, you know, you're not from the industry, if you will. I am also not an orthodontist or a dentist. But one of the reasons why I definitely wanted to have you on and, and I asked you to do this was because 
your perspective of business owner first and focusing on that, being able to grow companies like you did with 100 Got Junk and your own companies and being able to see it from the perspective of um, not in the jar right now that a lot of these guys are. And so I'm going to ask everybody who's watching, who's uh, listening to this right now, that you do have to look at it as the business aspect, not the emotional side of things. Because some of the stuff you have to do and you'll have to do, I believe, over the next couple of weeks and months is you got to take some of that emotion out because you got to make some tough decisions. Yeah, some of it's counterintuitive. Like some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about is going to feel awkward, but I'll tell you that like in January, January 29th, and I publicly posted this on Facebook as well, I moved 50% of all my investments in all of my accounts to cash. Yeah. I publicly did it January 29th and I stated why I did it. And the reason was, I remembered the story from JD Rockefeller who said, when I get stock tips from shoeshine boys, it's time to sell. And that was October 28th, 1929. He, he sold out the day before the market crashed. So I was driving in two Ubers in Scottsdale on January 29th and two Uber drivers gave me stock tips. Oh, wow. And I'm like, you know what? I'm out. Like this has gotten to the point of like the 2008 real estate crash. I'm out. Called all my, my, my Canadian brokers, called my US brokers, called the group that managed my captive, moved 50% into cash that day, rode 50% because I don't want to try to time the market. But if I'm right, I can really do, do well. And sure enough, um, I've been right. I've been able to put some money. I put some money back in early March when it when it was way down, and then I'm riding 75% still for the first big downturns. Anyway, the um, I don't know where I'm going, but oh, the counterintuitive part is being fearful when people are greedy and being greedy when they're fearful. Yeah. But one example of that right now is anybody who's in business, like a dental group, an orthodontal group, you're in business for the next 10 years this isn't a three month business for you. Yeah. So if you're in business for the next 10 years, this is about building a brand. It's about building awareness. It's about building, you know, um, momentum. So right now there's a huge opportunity to do advertising purchases, even if it doesn't start until June, but to negotiate all that because every radio station, TV station, billboard company, bus bench company, digital company, they're starving for, money and the cost of ads have dropped by 30 to 80 percent yeah we actually had a conversation a couple of weeks ago on the big uh, orthodontics uh conversation i had with like 10 different doctors and one of them said dude google adwords right now is so cheap it's ridiculous so i'm jumping all over that and that's again the counterintuitive thinking which brings me to tip number one that i want to focus on <laughs> because i think this alone is going to make people go like, but you're going to, you're going to feel the difference between your own personal belief of scarcity versus abundance and how you're actually going to uh, be strategic about things. Tip number one is increase your expenses. Yeah. So the increase your expenses is in a couple areas. The first one is looking at your ad buys very strategically and spending money on that right now. Another one is to increase money and spend money on training your team. You know, we often get to points where we just ha don't have time to train people, but it's training people that on leadership, on situational leadership, on time management, on delegation, on coaching, on customer engagement, on email management, all the stuff you've never had time to train them on while they're all sitting at home doing nothing right now. Let's train them up. Let's give this them. This is that someday you've been waiting for. Right. So, you know, get, get them trained up. Another area to spend money on right now is 
Last time I checked, all of your offices are empty right now, but house painters can go in and paint and decorators can go in and decorate and furniture people can drop off furniture and graphic designers can go in and put graphic design and logos up. Your entire space can be rebranded and looking amazing when you open the gate. So Wow, that's really smart. Well, I, I, I remember years ago, we had to redo our office space at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And the CEO, Brian, was like, well, when are we going to do this? It's going to drive the call center people crazy. I'm like, we're going to do it at night. He's like, you're not going to find a contractor who'll do it at night. And I'm like, trust me, I will find a contractor who wants to be the one who built the 1-800-GOT-JUNK call center. He will do it at night. And yeah. it's the last hour of every night cleaning the place up so that it looks perfect. Yeah. It got done at night. You know, I can tell you what I like about the idea, uh, personally, of course, of the training. I've actually had a good handful of doctors who've reached out to me during this time and hired me to do trainings for their teams, even virtually, because they recognize the power of, hey, I have them all captured. I have captivated. I can get them trained on. I mean, obviously, my stuff's around the culture and relationships and team building, which is important right now. But all those pieces, there are tons of my consultant friends out there in this space who are worried because not only are they being, are they having to, you know, the clients are stopping making payments now or not wanting to engage right now because they're not having income coming in, but they're also worried about, well, when we get back, am I going to be top of the list or am I going to be like the, well, when we get back around to it? I was just having this conversation recently. Let me, let me walk you through something that I touched on about three weeks ago with one of my coaching clients. He's about a $40 million company. Um, there's only about 150 people in his industry in the United States. And he said, you know, on average, we're all going to be down 30% this year. So he was putting a budget and a plan in place to be down by 30%. And I said, wait a second, Graham, what's your income level versus the American population? He goes, well, I'm totally in the top 1%. I'm like, what about your health and your fitness level? He goes, I am. I'm like, dude, you run Ironman triathlons. You're in the top 1%. Yeah. I go, what's, what about your business? Where does your business fall against the other 150 businesses? He goes, I'm in the top 5% of all in my industry. So I'm like, if you're in the top 5% in your industry today and you're in the top 1% in wealth, top 1% on fitness, why are you planning to be average? You've never been average at anything. So smart. I said, to be down by 30 on average, some have to be down by 50, some will be down by 70, some will be down by 10, but some will be up by 30. You're always in the up by 30 quadrant anyway, or choose that. He's like, oh shit, you're right. We shifted the entire coaching call for the next hour on how to do acquisitions, how to actually grow by 30%. He's so excited and he knows he'll do it. That's a really smart point. If you're already, why, why accept the average that's going to be that everybody else is going to be doing and focused on when you're not normally doing that? You've never been average at anything in your life. Why do you want to plan to be? Because what happens is in fear, people plan to be average. Yeah. I better cut back. Why are you cutting back? Because everybody else is? Why don't you spend? Because everything just got cheaper and now you can do an ad buy for the next 12 months while nobody else is. And when they come out of the gates and want to do it and it got expensive, you've already locked everything up. Bob's your uncle. It's really interesting when everything started happening, uh, you know, we thought it was gonna be three weeks. And so I created a little training about how to survive the Corona, you know, stall or whatever. And then when we turned, learned it was gonna be a month or two months or whatever, you know, I turned to my wife who, you know, we're, we're in a lucky enough position to where we don't have kids at home. We're nomadic. So we travel around quite a bit. And uh, I just said, listen, I'm going to be doubling down on everything, even expenses. Now we've, 
furloughed some of our employees that, you know, we didn't necessarily need. And it meant that I was just going to have to pick up the pace on a few things, but we doubled down on the idea of spending money on advertising, uh, doing things like this, Facebook lives and letting people know that we're out there and what we can do to help. I'm doing a lot of, uh, gratis stuff, right? Like I'm being very nice and say, Hey, I'm just going to do this because I want to be for free, but I'm also doing stuff where I'm out there saying, Hey, I'm still willing to be hired and I'm willing to pay. Mm -hmm. I've purchased more programs and things that I think will help increase my business over the last three weeks than I have probably in the last six months. Well, and it's smart if you do it strategically, right? If I'm listening right, right now and I think about, okay, where would I want to, if I was going to be investing, where would I invest? I would invest in growing my people. What would I grow them in? I would invest in growing myself. What would I grow myself in? You know, if you've always wondered about marketing, then take some marketing courses right now, invest in some marketing programs right now, follow some marketing people right now. But like, instead of reading all the stuff about how bad the world is, how about flip the glass to half full? And why don't you read about all the marketers who are actually knocking the cover off the ball? Like follow their stuff. Yep. Increase your skill set. If you can't bring more clients in, increase your client database, increase the awareness of you. I think every doctor out there should be doubling up on what they're doing on Instagram and Facebook and advertising their people. I had a doctor actually I was talking to today who spent the time. It's spring right now. Do some spring cleaning. Go clean yes. your office. Go clean your drawers in your office. Go clean. Like there's no law that says you can't go into your office for, for a day and clean every single thing and hire a cleaner to go in. Like, Let's get this place going again. So yeah. that when, when the gates are open, like I'll tell you, if I go to a restaurant after this thing opens up again and this restaurant hasn't been repainted and rebranded and refreshed, I probably won't go back a second time. Interesting. Right? You know, that's, that's an interesting psychological thing too for your clients to know that when they walk in the doors and it's fresh and it's new and it's updated, that you are ready for them, that you're not letting this thing like be, oh, it's just business as usual. It's, wow, look, you guys are like uh, approaching this in a totally different manner than everything else out there. That's really, really smart. Spring cleaning. Let's go to number two, which actually came up today. Number, uh, I was talking to a doctor today who was talking about how, look, I might have to see and want to see instead of 100 patients a day, 80 patients a day. So we talked about having to be a lot more strategic and particular about the clients that you want to bring on and which yours at number two is fire your customers. Yeah, I really don't like some people. And the ones I don't like, I call them the, I call them the PETA factor. And it's the ones that are the high pain in the ass factor. So you know, the, the only reason you even have a customer service department is because our product sucks, our service sucks, we overset expectations, or the FAQs on our website are terrible. The only, like, when you've got grumpy negative customers or grumpy negative suppliers, those people drain you. They pull your energy out, and then all of a sudden you're showing up to your A players with drained or negative energy and showing up instead of showing up with positive energy. And, and you're also spending time, and we only have three resources, people, time, and money, if you're spending people, time, and money on the negative customers, you're probably not making much off them anyway. So yep. what you want to do is get rid of the ones that are the high pain in the ass factor and get rid of the grumpy negative suppliers as well and then spend your time with your best people. I saw this years ago where my doctor, I've had the same position now for 25 years in Vancouver. I never go to him because I'm never sick. I don't take medication. But when I've had to go in over the years for like, a, you know, whatever your checkups, um, he told me years ago, about 10 years ago, he was fired every single customer of his who smoked 
And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, if my patients aren't going to take care of their health, why should I? He said, I put them all on wow. six notice. And he said, if they didn't commit to quitting smoking, if they hadn't quit smoking in six months, I got rid of them. He goes, I got rid of a lot of customers and I only take in non-smoking customers now and I'm still full. And I'm like, no wonder you've got all the athletes and triathletes and marathoners showing up in your space because those are the people you want to work with. I don't want to show up in a, why do I want to show up in a doctor's office filled with smokers and people that are unhealthy? It's like depressing. That's actually a really great point. Like create your business around the type of people you want to do business with. This makes sense. He's an athlete. I just bumped into him recently down at the ocean. I was going for a walk. He or I was think I was on my bike and he was going for a run and we stopped and talked. And I'm like, like, it just makes sense. Why would an athlete want to hang out with smokers? So fire your smokers. Nobody says you have to fight these people. It goes along with the idea of having your ideal client, your avatar of saying, these are the type of people I want to deal with. Uh, there's a news report of a dentist. I use this example uh, every once in a while of a, a woman who was building a new office and she was on the news because she was booked two months out for her schedule already. And when they were there interviewing her and she wasn't open yet, it was still under construction, said, how did you do that? And she said, because every Friday night, I have wine and cheese night for the women in the area. I announce it. I let them know. And guess who all my clients are? All the moms in the area. So simple, like, right? Yep. So I think that's what we have to re-decide and spend your time on right now as, as orthodontists or doctor or dentists is think about, instead of thinking about how bad the world is or how bad the news is or how bad COVID is, why don't you think about what your business is going to be, who you can get rid of and who you can attract more of. And I'll tell you, the more that you get rid of the grumpy, negative people that are sitting in your lobby, the more the great people are going to start wanting to sit in your lobby. I go to one of the yoga classes I go to. There's this yoga instructor is amazing. You go in and her class is always slammed. It's always like wall to wall to wall to wall people. But at the beginning of the class, she says, I want you to turn to the person next to you and wink at them and say your name and shake their hand. And it's so awkward to wink at some stranger in yoga, but everybody laughs about it. So she breaks the ice and you're always wondering who the other person is anyway. Sure. She goes, turn to the person on the other side and do it again. So she's making everybody meet everybody. And I think that's why her class is so busy because she's taken a little bit of fun. And I'll tell you, if you're a person that doesn't want to wink at a stranger and shake at their hands, there's plenty of other yoga people you can go to. And you're, and you're going to go to there. Right. You're going to be like, yeah, I'm out. And that's great. That's totally right. fine. Let people Good. self-select. There's lots of places that smokers can go hang out, but they shouldn't be in my office. I think that's great. That's brilliant. All right. Um, this was really cool. <laughs> Someone has money. Now go get some now. Listen, some. right now, everyone's freaking out that no one's going to want to spend money, that they're all going <laughs> to tighten their budgets because everybody's losing their job, apparently. And one of the things I've been saying is, listen, the key is this, there will always be money. You just need to, again, change who you're going after for that money and recognize that I believe there's no competitive advantage to going to, to the, being the second lowest price leader. So go higher. That's what we did at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We raised our prices 40% the day I got there. I raised prices and everyone's like, oh my God, we're going to go bankrupt. What? I'm like, we're going to go bankrupt anyway. If we don't raise our prices, nobody's making enough money. So we became the Starbucks of junk removal or the FedEx of junk removal, premium priced, premium service, premium brand, premium look and feel. And we were all making money doing it. Where I got this idea though, about go get money. Somebody's got it was in 2000. One of the guys in my EO, I was part of the entrepreneurs organization. He was in my forum 
He was a very high-end artist. His art would sell for between $10,000 and $30,000 per painting. And he was panicking about, oh my God, nobody's going to buy my paintings. I'm like, Spar, you only sell to the high net worth, ultra rich people. They're not broke. Yeah, their stocks are down, but like instead of them having $3 billion, they've got $2.5 billion. Instead of them being worth $30 million, they're worth $25 million. You were never selling to a guy making a hundred grand a year. Nobody making a hundred was out buying your $30,000 painting. So your high net worth have money, go sell to them. He's like, oh my God, you're right. And then I realized that the, the GDP, I think in the economy that year was, in, was $13 trillion. But in the recession, it shrunk to 12 trillion. I'm like, there's still $12 trillion circulating. Go get some of it. Yep. Don't, worry about, don't worry about the 1 trillion that's not circulating. Worry about the 12 trillion that is. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, with doctors right now, I think one of the worries is obviously that these that their patients who they've been look everybody obviously chooses their own type of clientele that they're trying to go after and they have their own marketing methods or whatever but their worry is there's going to be less money from them so they're going to hold up no one's this is what i've heard no one's going to be thinking i should go get braces right now but yeah they will there are probably plenty of people i know there are plenty of people who have been waiting to get braces during this lowest period during where everybody's been at home people yep. are still going to need to have that and how much of that is the messaging that you're that the owner needs to be better at to share with people hey this is why you want what i have well i think some of it's the messaging but i think some of it's also going around looking for it i remember when my brother was we were kids. We were like seven and five years old. <laughs> my mom, my brother's like, I can't find my shoes. And my mom walked by and was looking at the ceiling. She goes, I don't know where they are either. And my brother's like, why are you looking at the ceiling? She goes, because you're not looking where you put them before. Why are you wandering around in the kitchen looking for your shoes? They're probably out in the hallway where you left them. So we go, like, you know, if you want clients, you got to think about where are they going to be and then go to where they are and then message to them. So I think it's before it's messaging, it's where do our prospects hang That's out? That's a really great point. You know, where do our, so years ago when I was building college pro painters, I was the franchisee and I needed to hire some, some painters and I wanted university students who would paint. And I, I didn't want guys who wanted to be painters. I wanted guys who wanted to make money. So I thought athletes will want to make money and, and, and they're strong enough. They can do the job. And I'm like, where do athletes hang out? I'm like, they hang out at the gym. So I went up to the university gym, Laurentian University in Sudbury, and I, and I went into the gym and there were a bunch of guys, 20 year olds playing basketball. And I stood at the door, really embarrassed and really nervous. And I screamed out, hey, is anybody looking for a summer job? And everybody stopped to look at that guy who was screaming at them. And one of the guys walked over and he goes, yeah, I'm looking for a job. What are you guys looking at? He goes, well, I'm looking to hire house painters. He goes, dude, my, my roommates, there's three of us would love to paint houses for you. And I started talking to him that night, all three of them showed up at my house. I hired all three and they were fantastic. Two of them painted for me for two summers, but I realized like athletes hang out at the gym. So it really had less to do with my marketing and my messaging and I had more to understand where do my targets hang out and I'll go message to them there. That's really smart. I've yeah. talked about before, you know, why are you so in, in the ortho industry, especially they, a lot of people will rely, of course they want customer referrals, but they'll rely on dentists to send them dental referrals, which is a uh, process that I believe within the next five years will be 
gone and I have reasons behind that. But I will always say, man, why don't you go to like the dance schools and the gymnastic place and the acting schools and the modeling places and the beauty spas and connect with them because that's where people are thinking about beauty and aesthetics and looking good. It would make sense. Cheerleading schools, all that type of stuff. We had a question here that I wanted to uh, get to. You want to go to where the moms have to sit for an hour and talk to each other. That's right. Um, Georgia asked, uh, George asked this. She said, just on that, I would target a hundred percent of your marketing to women. And here's why, here's why, like, Dino, have you ever stayed in a great hotel? In a great hotel? Yeah. Yeah. And, and how many, how many people did you tell? Probably one or two. But if your, if your wife stayed in that great hotel, how many people did she tell? Oh yeah. She's still telling people she doesn't stop it. Like women share and they will constantly share. So our job is to give them the messaging that we want them to share. So I would be putting all my energy into the female clients and telling them what I want them to share with others because they'll share it. I would almost not even worry about the guys, but I would have female copywriters, female designers, female landing page people, female buyers. I would focus everything on the female target demographic. Your website should be female friendly. That's really, really smart. I love that. So George asked, how do you get rid of the PETA patients while they're in treatment? And this obviously coming from not getting rid of or stopping PETA from getting to you, but now they're there. I don't know. I'm not in your industry to know, to know the yeah. industry well enough to how to get rid of them. Without, but I, I've fired a coaching client who I guess is in treatment. I just decided that I didn't want to coach him anymore. So yeah. I, and he said, well, you have to coach me. I'm like, no, I actually don't because I don't like working with you anymore. So you can go get coached somewhere else. So I'm not sure what treatment would be, but you know, um, if it's well, is, I, is getting braces done and getting like, um, you know, braces or aligners. And, and I know of uh, doctors who have fired clients before who said, yeah, sorry, we're just not a good fit for you. And let them go somewhere else. I, I definitely know of that. And that's, def- that's not uncommon. I would definitely, definitely screen your potential clients better to really understand them as people before you say yes to their money. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Let's go to number four, eliminate competitors. Yeah. As Ray Kroc, who built McDonald's said, when the competition's drowning, stick a hose in their mouth. Great <laughs> opportunity to be very Machiavellian, which is hire their customers hire some of the other dentists away from their locations, um, target their clients around them. I mean, you see this in the technology sector in the Bay Area where they put billboards outside of Google's office or they put them outside of PayPal's office. Like they literally put billboards outside of the competitor's offices to try to attract those people away. I would be trying to attract away their employees. I would be running branding, like geo-targeting around their locations so that you run geo-fenced Facebook ads around their locations. Um, I would run bus bench ads around their locations, anything you can do to actually geofence around them. And we used to do something in the, in the junk days, in the early days, nobody knows this story, but we had a local competitor who used to put up signs and Brian would go and knock their signs down. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're not helping us grow at all and you're wasting time and it's all negative energy knocking down their signs. Why don't you write down where their signs are and let's put five of our signs around every one of theirs. Let's just cut off their geometry. So when a customer sees one of them and six of us, they're gonna be like, oh, well, you've got junk because they're everywhere. Those other guys are just a little bit, you know? Right. So, so that's what I would be doing is looking to, to search and destroy, hire some of their, their dentists away, 
geofence and marketing around them um, really go after their go after their employees I think there's gonna be a lot of opportunities for that uh, associates that you can't have that somebody can afford or some corporation needed to let go of go yeah. find the best talent out there well and when you've got when you build and but you have to build your location into a great space it has to look good and feel good turn your reception desk sideways so you're not like making them go across a full counter put your reception level down to desk height so you're more approachable like Think about your, your dental location like it was an Apple store. What would it look like and feel like so that it feels more approachable? Because then your employees are going to want to come and work with you. Here's a big one as well. And this, this is going to be one that's counterintuitive. And most of the orthodontists won't like me for this one. But I trust, trust me, the ones of you that get it. Love right? it. Stop fucking calling yourself dent, Dr. So-and-so. Yes. Don't stop. Like, stop. No one really gives a shit that you went to school for seven years except you. I'm sorry it was so painful. But you're a guy just like me. Your name's Bob or Kelly or Steve or Dave. You took a shit when you got up this morning. Your armpits still smell. You've got bad breath once in a while. Your kid's at home puking. Your spouse is mad at you and you still can't figure out how to play guitar. Stop calling, making everybody call you doctor to make yourself feel special. Because if you get your customers to call you Dave, you're going to build a connection. And if they hear your employees calling you Dave and Fred and John and Bob, they're going to connect with you. And I saw this when my brother used to work with my dad and he called him John all the time. My brother called my dad John so that he didn't seem off. And I'm like, you know what? Call him dad. And then all of a sudden he called him dad one time and the other employees thought it was really cool. They knew he was my dad, but there was like more of a, okay, you're, you're just a normal guy. And I think if you really want to connect with your customers, Make sure that your, your website, the photos of your team, if you've got photos of your dentist, have a photo of you in your biking gear. Have your bio read like a Tinder profile and, yep. and finish with your dentistry skills. Because what you want to do is, is have a bio and a website and an office and an environment that has me want to come and hang with you. Yes. And not feel like I'm intimidated by you. Because if I'm intimidated by you, I'm not going to refer someone to you. And if I feel that you're above me, I'm not going to refer somebody to you. And I remember this because I've had two very special dentists in my life. One was Henry Moser. Henry Moser was my dentist when I was a kid. Henry would not let me call him Dr. Moser because Henry was also my ski coach. Mm -hmm. Now I was in, a, I was like eight years old in a little ski racing league and Henry would coach me at skiing and then I'd go get my teeth cleaned. And then he'd give me a Tootsie Pop, which was probably the worst thing. But he's like, you know what? I know you're going to eat one anyway, so don't show your mom. And I'm like, Henry's <laughs> awesome. And then when I was in my 30s, I played Ultimate Frisbee. And this guy, PJ Darling, was my dentist. And PJ would be like, just call me PJ. I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, Cam, everybody here calls me PJ. So I'd walk in and one of the, one of the girls would be like, oh, you're here to see PJ. I'm like, yeah. She's like, how do you know PJ? I'm like, we play Ultimate. And I'm like, we're talking about my dentist. Yep. I still respected him, but I was connected to him. Yep. I totally agree. I was actually on a call this morning with one of my teams from up there in Canada, actually. And they, uh, they call their doctor, Tim, Tim all the time, Tim, Tim, Tim. Great. And I love it because I call him Tim and I want to be you know friendly with him. I mention often about on websites where people go to the about page and you click on the about, like 
here's a great example. Everybody that's watching this, go to Cameron's website and see his story. He doesn't have an about, he has his story. And you get to read the story of Cameron Harold and how he, you know, grew the businesses and stuff like that. I think on all of our websites, the about us page, what I always find funny is I'll go to websites and I'll see all of the listings of the degrees they have and the clubs they're in and the associations oh. they have and them and their family in a tree somewhere, you know, or in a field somewhere, beautiful family. But I still know nothing about you. That's not about you. It's, terrible. it's so bad. And I think that's where if we can really connect with people, we win. And that's the counterintuitive stuff right now that you can work on right now. And go yep. and look at some technology companies, some IT companies and think, what would, like, what would Richard Branson do? <laughs> this is funny, actually. I told a story one time. I was, I was in an event and I said, I was in the Bahamas and I said, um, I was talking to the YPO chapter there. I said, what would Richard Branson do with your company if he came into your business? What would he do? What would he change? What would he do with your website? And a week later, one of the guys there who owns a, um, a big company called Great, or a, a high-end restaurant and, and small little resort called Greycliff sent me a note. He's like, you're never going to guess who came into my restaurant today. I'm like, who? He's like, Richard Branson. <laughs> like a, week, a week later. I'm like, that's really funny. But like, what would Steve Jobs do with your, like, this is the CEO of the biggest company in the world who walked around wearing jeans and bare feet and a black t-shirt. Like maybe you can, right? Yep. What, if, yep. what if you could? And I think that's where you win. And I've also coached three dental chains. So I actually know enough about the space. I coached a guy named Steve Heimovich who owns an orthodontal dental group in, in Arizona. And I coached a guy named Jack who runs Kid Smiles in LA. And I coached a guy named Hans from Calgary who has dental choices. And I call them all by their first names because they're, they're guys just like me. And that's where the connection with their customers will come from. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. Um, I think somebody asked a question here. Um, oh, Todd. Yes, I agree. Todd asked a question just about, yes, you want to focus to women. He totally agrees with that, but then they'll always, they'll typically go back and ask that they need to discuss it with their spouse. Todd, we're not going to get into that just because that's actually a pre-selling technique that I talk about. It's just because you're not setting up the conversation well and your TC then doesn't know how to pre-overcome that objection as opposed to waiting for that to show up. So I think it's a preparation thing. Um, Let's go to number five, because this is going to, I think, shock people shorts a little bit. Start stealing legally. Yeah, the start stealing legally is, my dad told me when I was young, your R&D, you're never going to be smart enough to figure this out. He said, your, your R&D should stand for rip off and duplicate, that all of the great ideas have already been created by other companies. Go and take those ideas and put those in place. And, and I think that's a huge opportunity right now is to go and take those ideas from the best other companies and put those into your business right now. Well, you mentioned something, I think it was uh, the last Genius Network event, the one before the last, where you had said how shocked you are that people don't like read a book and then take the stuff that they find in the book and duplicate that. Uh, and right. I, I, took, I took that over to my doctors and be like, there are so many doctors who are what's called, you know, KOLs, key opinion leaders. And I'm like, you don't have to reinvent it. If this worked for this doctor, go do that one. It drives me bonkers. Like, why would you keep listening to all these thought leaders who've done really, really good things and not do what they're telling you to do? Like, it's pretty simple stuff. Just yep. do it. Like, I had somebody recently and they saw me speak for the third time. They paid me to come and speak to an event. And I was speaking to this group of CEOs. And he's like, I've seen you three times. And it's the first time the idea is stuck. So sometimes you're not ready to learn. Sure. So sometimes you've read it and you're not ready to learn. But if you know you should do something, like if anything I've 
talked to you about resonates with you, do it. I'm not yep. here to inspire. The last thing I'm here to do is inspire. I'm here to actually affect change. So yeah, I love that. Ideas and put that in place. I love that. I'm not here to inspire. I'm here to affect change. Uh, my wife and I were just talking about today. We're creating a one of the things that I, uh, not a lot of people are thinking about right now is the ability to sell through the screen because so much is going to go virtual. And so people are talking about doing virtual appointments in this space a lot, but selling through the screen is a whole nother thing and being able to recognize micro expressions, body language. And my wife and I are certified body language experts 10 years ago and been using that all this time. So we're talking about this program we're going to develop, but we're also doing a ton of research around like what Harvard University has done and stuff. So we can use that knowledge base to teach our clients because yeah. they're not going to go out and find it. So let me give it to them and shortcut the situation. This, uh, this system. One of the favorite CEOs that I coached when I started coaching him, he was 106 million in revenue. He went to 520 million three years later and then 836, three years after that. So from 106 to 836 million in six years, he was 36 years old when I started coaching him. What he would do is figure out what he was working on over the next quarter. Then he would go and find the Harvard Business Review articles related to the stuff he was working on. He would read that and he would put it in place. Yep. Like if I'm going to have a board meeting, I'll read about board meetings. If I'm going to launch a brand, I'll read about, if I'm going to write, if I'm going to redo my office during a slowdown, I'm going to read about what makes cool offices. Yep. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And I would be like you mentioned earlier, taking the time right now to brush up on all of that. Okay. Finding number six, find money under your company's pillow. Yeah. There's opportunities everywhere to sell stuff that already exists and it could be products or services that you have. That you could rebundle or remarket in a different way. It might be assets that are sitting in your office that you haven't used forever that you could just sell. Like my kid the other day came up to me. He's like, why are you selling that, that old bike? I'm like, cause it was yours six years ago and it's too small for you. So I just had somebody come and drop off a hundred bucks under my doormat and he picked up the bike in the backyard and like finding opportunities to sell stuff. One of my coaching clients took a bunch of products, he used to have information products and he'd sold them for years over the internet, Billy Jean. He took a bunch of his old products that he'd sold for years, repackaged them as a bundle, sold it and did about a million dollars in revenue in a month. Wow. Selling, old, selling old stuff that he just repackaged is kind of like a happy meal. Wow. That's crazy. Um, I know that I've mentioned to doctors too, there's also in, in, in our doctor's space, there's a lot of clients who have come in who didn't start or people who are waiting to start. That's under your pillow, right? The follow-up system to get those people in. Even now who, and I know there are doctors who are like, well, who's going to start right now? I have clients right now who are starting people who are on their waiting list, being able to go to them and say, hey, guess what? We got plenty of time right now to get you in on a virtual appointment. We can get you started. We'll set the date for a month from now. If it has to change, we'll change it, but let's get you started. That's great. It works. It yeah, works. Virtual, appoint virtual appointments could be really powerful right now. The initial consultations where there's got to be opportunities with some of that for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's where a lot of the shift is. I did a eight hour long uh, virtual training for the docs in this space about three weeks ago, all day Friday, with all the people in the industry who are doing virtual training, who have the resources or the, the, the technology to help you do it and to walk people through it. And it's definitely going to be a shift. My concern that I want people to recognize is it's not a shift for now. It's a shift for the future. This is where we get to shift the industry and do things for the future that cut your time in half, that increase your profits. So I'm excited about that. All right. So the tried and true tips go into some really good mindsets. 
which are, and we're going to go through this a little faster, uh, stay positive and stay focused. Let's do two of them at a time. Tip seven and eight, stay positive, stay focused. So the stay positive part is that misery loves company, right? So all these people that are negative and grumpy are looking for more negative, grumpy people to surround themselves with. Don't be with them. Go hang out with the people that are positive and happy. And, and so find the other people in your industry that are positive, that are abundance mindset, that are driving forward and spend time talking to them. Stop spending time with anybody who's negative and grumpy. Just divorce them from your life. Um, yeah. And the, the, staying, the staying focused part is just deciding every morning, what are three big things I can do today that'll move my business forward? Do those three things before you do everything else. Just pick three things to drive the business forward. Do those. If you do three things a day, times the 250 operating days of the year, that's 750 big things that have moved your business forward. But if you don't think about three things a day to move it forward, you're going to end up at the end of the year going, oh, I wish I could have done X, Y, Z. And some of those three things could be, I just will call three people today. I will ask three people for a referral today. I'll ask for three Google reviews today, whatever it is. Yep. Yep. So true. That's the, and that goes into number nine, which is reinforce your relationships. Yeah, I mean, that's the clear one, right? Like we've, we work so hard to get our first customers in, but then what are we doing to actually thank our customers and keep our customers? So I have a one right now that like, you know, everyone who, um, who appears on a podcast for me, I send them a knife from John Rulin. It's a custom engraved knife with their name on it. So they get this gift from me that says, thanks for carving out time to be on my podcast. Well, the interesting thing is the only people that are on my podcast are COOs and all of those COOs are potential members for the COO Alliance. And that $200 automated gift that goes out the door to them, I've now signed six of my podcast guests. So only six out of 105 have joined, but they pay 20,000 a year. So that's $120,000 in value. And I've probably spent $4,000 in sending out knives. I need to up my game. I send out a uh, customized uh, brownie for people who are on my podcast. So I got to up the game with the knife, but... <laughs> Still keeping that connection, hopefully. And lastly, on the tips, this is uh, something that I know they're doing because of almost fear and concern, but I think this is a good business uh, principle in general, and then especially over the next couple of months, watch your cash flow. Well, yeah, I mean, cash is your oxygen right now. If you think when you were a kid, you know, your, your mom or dad threw a penny into the swimming pool and you dove down, you'd come up gasping for air, I'm going to die. It's like, you're not going to die. You were down four feet. And then you go scuba diving when you're like 24 and you're in like Cozumel and you go down scuba diving and you get down to 80 feet and you run out of oxygen. You're like, oh shit, you get to the surface. You're not going to die, but you're going to get pretty sick. Right. Well, if you go down to 140 feet with oxygen and you run out of oxygen and you hit the surface, you're going to die. So the bigger your business gets, cash is like oxygen. And the way you run it when you're small changes as you get bigger. When you're small, you put a little bit more money on your, on your credit card. You don't pay yourself for a month. You, you don't submit expenses, whatever. But when you're bigger, then it's like, oh, shit, I got to go to a bank. I go to a loan. I got to get credit. Like, so you really have to manage that as you scale up your business. So right now, everyone's a little late on this. But in January, February, all 16 or 18 of my coaching clients were told in January and February by me, go to the bank and get credit lines put in place. Because my gut is we're on the precipice of, the, of this next recession. Um, all of my coaching clients were told to go and see if they could get credit or loans put in place and get pre-approved for loans if they needed them. They were all told to go get their credit lines on their credit cards extended as well. And they were all told to go back and renegotiate with suppliers to see if they could get their first price reductions. When all of a sudden the shit hit the fan in March, 
They then went back out to all their suppliers and renegotiated the second time. So they'd already got one bump down. Now they got the second bump down and they already had credit pre-approved or credit already in place. So it's, it's thinking of your oxygen. It's like, if I'm going to go down deep, I'm going to bring a third tank with me. Right. But it's too late when you're down and you run out of oxygen. It's too, too late to go look for oxygen. Yeah. You can't take it from somebody else. That's for sure. Cause they're yeah. down too. So here's a question for you that, um, it's kind of, it's a surprise question, but if you had to rewrite this chapter right now, what would be tip number 11? Uh, it would be that 30%, the average of 30%, cause that wasn't in there. That would be the one I would really add is that if you're preparing for a downturn, don't prepare to be average, prepare to be in the top 5% of what makes up that average. Okay. That's a big, big lesson. Like it's a massive lesson. So huge. And the funny thing is, is that there are a ton of people watching this. There are a ton of people who I deal with who are that like top of the game already in their business. And yeah, there was this big shift in concern of like, oh no, oh crap. Instead of thinking, no, 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 we're not going to be like all those other ones. Matter of fact, we're going to be able to, and not in a mean way, but actually, I mean, it's a business way of going, we're going to be able to pick up their pieces and add them to us. I've got clients that are out there doing acquisitions right now because a lot of the big ones are really scared and acquisitions just got really, really, really cheap. So the the funny thing is I think about like, hopefully some people felt like a bit of a slap in the head with that 30% in a good way that woke them up to go, wow, you're right. Like I really just need to... To, to manage to that top 5%. Years ago, I lived in Seattle in 1994. I lived in Seattle twice. I, I would go to the Seattle fish market at Pike's Place Market. And you know, there's that famous scene where like they throw the fish and the people catch the fish. Yeah. Somebody wasn't paying attention and they got hit in the side of the Smacked head. Smacked in the head. And it was like, boom. And I'm like, that's awesome. And I don't think like anybody, it was before cell phones, like nobody got it. But I remember this kid getting hit in the side of the face with a fish and just kind of going, oh, and it just kind of woke him up. And, and hopefully we woke somebody up today because that could be a quantum shift for your business and for your life is if you're always in the top one to 5%, make plans to be there. And then it's plan, brief, execute, debrief, plan, brief, execute, debrief, right? You cycle yeah. through that, but you plan your work and work your plan. One of the things and main reasons I wanted to have you on, as I mentioned in the beginning, is just the, the perspective difference of look, business is business is business. And if you think about whatever you're doing, whatever industry you're in, whether you're in a lemonade stand, that you're trying to scale an orthodontic office or you're growing, when it had your gut junk, there are just certain principles that are just true. Principles are principles are principles. And so if you lean upon those during these times, um, I have been really having, I've been having a conversation around leaning upon your culture and your core values. And I know you talk a lot about culture and core values. Vivid Vision is, is a great book that everybody should be out there doing. I have a principle I teach um, called the Actionable Vision, which is, is similar to that. But the idea is all of these principles here should be part of your normal core values as, your, yeah. as a business owner. Yeah. Yeah, I, like, I loved one of Starbucks. It wasn't a core value, but I was being groomed my mentor was being groomed as the second in command at Starbucks. And, and he coached me for about two years when I was the CEO of Got Junk. And I was down at their office one quarter. I would go down there one quarter and he'd come to my office one quarter. We'd rotate. And I remember being down there walking around their building in their head office. And on one of the floors, there was a huge saying on the wall. And it said, grow big, 
act small. And, mm-hmm. and I think that mantra has stood Starbucks very well. Like they don't, they, they never gotten corporate. And I think a lot of these mindsets have to become part of, of who you are, who your DNA is, right? So that it's not a big shift to, to move to this. Absolutely. Well, Cameron, we are at our time. I want to thank you so much for being here. Uh, we don't have any other uh, uh, questions in the question box here. You answered a ton of them. And I really appreciate not only the stories, but the examples and your willingness to really see through the eyes of the business owner, even if you're not orthodontist. Like we said before we even got on the air, it's like, doesn't matter. I, I, it doesn't matter to me at all. So everybody in the chat box, if you have any questions for me, please feel free to leave them there. I'll answer them after the show. Uh, but thank you so much for your time here, Cameron. It means a lot to me. Uh, Dino, you're welcome. Thanks for asking. Glad we're both a part of the Genius Network together. So it's just proof that these masterminds work, right? Running in the right circles, right? Thanks, man. Awesome. Everybody, thank you. Have a great night, everybody, and be safe. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.